Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bible, if you'd open up to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, this morning we're going to jump right in, and then we're going to have a response after um, the sermon. So I say that not to scare you, not that we'll have a three-hour altar call. I don't even know that I will do an altar call, but we're going to sing in response of what we are going to see in the text this morning. And uh, I'm encouraged by what we see, and I hope that, again, what can sometimes be a familiar text for us, I hope that with this text we are able to um, glean some 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 deep truths about who God is from his word but also truths about our lives and our hearts and so um, I want to read the text if you would uh, stand with me and we want to read through this chapter uh, Daniel chapter 4 and there are 37 verses yes 37 which is a little bit more than 30 but not quite 40 all right and so I'm going to try to keep plowing through, and you guys have been so gracious and um, showing mercy as we've walked through these first three chapters, and I look forward to chapter four. So if you would follow along with me in your text, it'll also be up on the screen uh, as I read. Daniel chapter four, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show you the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and whom the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the vision of my dream that I saw, and their interpretation. The vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. And the tree grew and became strong, and its top reached the heaven, and it was so visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision of my head as I laid in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, 
bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by, a, by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it in the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heavens, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which the food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reached to heaven, and your dominions to the end of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. As it is, as, and as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your iniquities by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew long, as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, 
And my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still grew more greatness was added, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride. He is able to humble. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for the opportunity to open up your word. And I pray that, Lord, as we've read it, it would continue to pierce our hearts. Lord, work in our midst today for your glory and for your kingdom. Your will be done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We see here another chapter beginning with what? If you haven't taken notice yet, you see in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, and now even in chapter 4, how does this chapter begin? It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar. And we'll see it again in chapter 4, or chapter 5 and chapter 6, where the chapters will begin referencing kings. Again, I do not believe this is coincidence. I think it's purposeful. Even though man put chapters in, God did not ordain chapters where they are. Uh, I do believe that there is a purpose that Daniel is trying to help us to see. As each section begins, he wants to call to mind as mankind looks upon the earth and anoints and even places kings in rulership, there is one who is mightier than he. And so we see... King Nebuchadnezzar mentioned. King Nebuchadnezzar reigned for 43 years. My time schedule kind of goes like this, and you do your research, all right, and you do your study. Don't assume that mine is right, all right? There's a lot of great and godly scholars who will differ on the time frame here, and that's okay. Where I land and where I'm sharing to you this morning, King Nebuchadnezzar, I believe his reign started in 605. And he probably wrote Daniel 4 in 563, which is 24 years after Daniel chapter 3. So the events of Daniel chapter 3, and then when Nebuchadnezzar writes about this, because what is awesome about this chapter is actually it's written from the king's perspective. It's really cool because while Daniel, I believe Daniel records it for us here, it's a written letter from King Nebuchadnezzar himself. He's portraying uh, from his vantage point, from his view, what has transpired. Eight years before is how he begins. And so while he records this in 563, the end, towards the end of his reign of his 43 years, I believe that the text tells us that after the seven years of of trial that will 
talk a little bit more about. After those seven years, his kingdom is actually greater, which means there has to be a period of time after this takes place where Nebuchadnezzar is still the king. And so I believe there's probably a year, at least a year of that time. And so he's recording for us if his rulership ends in 562 BC, he's recording this in 563. Um, and so again, that helps us to see, man, that is 24 years since Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. So there's a great period of time that has transpired, all right, since that point. Now, what we want to do is we want to go back eight years, okay? Eight years from the time that Nebuchadnezzar is writing here is where we will see that Nebuchadnezzar starts what he is sharing. Verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar is to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. We see this is a king. The king is uh, giving a greeting, and it's a royal claim to a universal audience. One of the things that I would encourage you to do is do some research about Babylon. Do some research about King Nebuchadnezzar and what his, his, uh, his rulership and what his kingdom looked like. Because if you start doing some research and even what the archaeologists have found, it, it's tremendous. And they still have not yet unearthed everything. And yet they find these, these great things of this kingdom. One of the things that was interesting to me was the gate doors and how ornate they were. And again, I share that and because it, it confirms what we are reading here. And what we read here is that, that King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was great. It was, it was probably the greatest on the earth at this time. And Babylon was the place to be. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this salutation to all the peoples of the world, of all nations. He wants everybody to know what he's going to say. And so verse 2 tells us his purpose of what he's writing. Verse 2 says, It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So King Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, I want to give you right off the bat the purpose for why I'm recording this and telling you this. Here's my purpose. I thought it was good that you hear what the Most High God has shown me, the signs and wonders. So he says that in verse 2 about signs and wonders. And then um, King Nebuchadnezzar is actually going to have two doxologies. He's going to begin with a doxology, a call to praise, and then he's going to end with a doxology. And so this first doxology will, will reference these signs and wonders again. So verse 3 says, How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. As King Nebuchadnezzar begins his proclamation in this letter, he begins by saying, Listen, I want you to know who the Most High God is. And I want you to see his signs and his wonders. I want you to know that his kingdom is above all the other kingdoms. And I want you to know that it will last forever. Interesting. Again, if you're a part of the Jewish nation and you're getting this read to you or you're reading this. As you're in captivity or as you've been now starting to gather back into Jerusalem. 
and, and you're going to enter back in and you're hearing these words that the great king of Babylon would declare this, hmm, how much more would that strengthen your faith to say even the greatest king of the world would say that God's kingdom is the real deal. Verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. So King Nebuchadnezzar is just chilling, right? He's, he's sitting back, enjoying it. But what we see is a great contrast between verse four and verse five. While verse four says, I'm just laying back. I'm enjoying life. I'm prospering. Verse five says this. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I laid in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head, they alarmed me. So what has transpired is one day he's there enjoying the fruit of his labor. And the next he has this dream and he is deathly afraid. He becomes so perplexed and overwhelmed. He has to get to the bottom of what does this dream mean? I think he knows at this point, he knows things uh, are not looking too good. So he needs to find out what does this dream mean? Maybe it is good. Maybe it isn't so bad, but he's, he's extremely fearful. Verse six, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. And then Daniel lists for us here, then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me the interpretation. It's kind of like the reader would have said, duh, yeah, we knew that. It's kind of one of those parts of the movie that you could foresee coming. And so you're like, I knew that was going to happen. This was the part where I was going to talk about Hallmark movies, but I'll move on. So um, the king wants to know, verse 8 tells us, at last, Daniel came in before me. So the king has had experience with Daniel. He knows Daniel's there. And while these other men can't help him, who does he turn to? What's his last resort? It's this guy named Belteshazzar. Notice in our text how it's described. It says, at last Daniel came into me. And, and again, when you're reading this, Nebuchadnezzar's writing this. And so as he's writing this, he uses Daniel's name here. But in this verse, he will specify, and he doesn't need to, but yet he will specify. And I think it, it shows where the king's heart was in the midst of this search for knowing the dream. Because he says, at last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of, what does it say? My God. And in whom the spirit of the holy gods is the spirit of the holy gods. So even though he knew the spirit of the gods was amongst Daniel he called Daniel after his God. What's interesting, again, as you look at the beginning, but he uses not Belteshazzar when he first introduces Daniel. He uses Daniel's real Jewish name, which gives us evidence of what is to come. All right. So 
Verse 9, O Belteshazzar, he explains to him, chief of the magicians, which if we pause for a second, Daniel is still the chief magician, it's called here, but he's still in charge after 32 years. That's pretty cool, isn't it? How God, even in the midst of, of the Jewish people being ransacked, Jerusalem being destroyed, the people being dispersed, and the great amount of uh, uh, turmoil and trial that they've endured here, but will endure. But there's hope coming. But Daniel has been in, in a place of power, even in the midst of that, of God humbling the Jewish nation. Daniel has still been placed here and is here for 32 years, which should give us hope. God's still on the throne, and he will appoint and put people where he wants them. Here we see direct evidence Daniel's still here doing God's work while he does the king's work. So chief of the magicians comes and uh, Bel um, King Nebuchadnezzar lets him know, hey, I, I saw this vision of a dream and I need to know what it means. It's interpretation. Then he explains, verse 10, the vision of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. Its tree grew and became very strong. Its top reached the heavens, and it was visible to the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Meaning, here is this extravagant picture. And we see this earlier in Nebuchadnezzar in the dream that was, was shown to him in chapter 2. Another large item, right? The first was a statue, uh, and this now is a tree. And this large tree expands to the heights of heaven, and its branches are out. Its fruit is great. Its shade is providing. All of the earth benefits from this tree. And so as he shares this, he shares about how, as I saw the vision, verse 13 as I lay in bed, behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. I won't spend a whole lot of time here, but I encourage you to do a little research here. A watcher. Who's a watcher? And this term that Daniel uses, that King Nebuchadnezzar uses, that Daniel records for us. A watcher, all right? A holy one came from heaven. Who is this? I believe this is an angel. All right, I believe this is one who watches, and this is where some will get that angels watch over us. And while angels do watch over us, I believe, they are at God's command. They are at God's control. God tells them what to do, but they are watching. They are watching you and I today. That's not to be freaky, like some mysterious boogeyman, all right? But shouldn't we be aware Shouldn't, shouldn't it excite us in the sense that, hey, we're not here alone. You know, some people try to make it like there's aliens out there watching us. If you want to call the heavenly hosts aliens, okay. I don't think there's aliens. I believe God created the universe so great and so big because he wanted to show us how awesome and great he is. He didn't have to do that. He could have left a little. But he made it huge so that when we gaze upon the skies and we gaze upon the stars, it causes us to wonder. Because our God is so awesome and so great. And so we see here a picture that, yes, 
There is a heavenly host, and they are watching over us. And there are times where God beckons them to intervene. And so here, Nebuchadnezzar sees this vision, and the one, the watcher, the holy one, he proclaims aloud, verse 14, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip of its leaves and scatter its fruit. Leave the stump, we're going to talk about that in a minute, bound it with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let him be with wet, with the dew of the heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence of decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the ends that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets it over the lowliest of men. Here's the purpose of why this vision has been given. Nebuchadnezzar records for us what is going on, the purpose of this vision, and the purpose of what is going to take place. The purpose is this. Don't miss it in verse 17. That the living may know. Let me just pause for a second. Are you alive today? No, some of you are not. All right? I thought after doing the VBS songs, it would be the best time to get up and preach. Be a little bit awake. You are alive, right? You are alive. And so these words are, are good for us even to hear today. Even as they were for that Jewish nation to hear as Daniel had recorded and to give them hope and to give them uh, a strengthening of their faith in the true and the most high God. That regardless of the circumstances that surround us, Daniel tells us here. That the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And so King Nebuchadnezzar is just pleading with Daniel, please tell me the interpretation of this dream. So Daniel, verse 19, whose name was Belteshazzar. Again, I don't think Daniel is writing this for his purpose, but I think it's really King Nebuchadnezzar helping us to see where he is and what's going on at this time was dismayed and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Essentially what the king says is, listen, I can see that you're afraid. I can see the fear on your face. I don't want you to be afraid to tell me what the dream means. I need to know. I need to know. Daniel's response is this then. Oh, Lord, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel must have had close interactions with the king. Over those 32 years, he has grown, grown fond of King Nebuchadnezzar. Also, I believe Daniel is wondering, as he hears this dream and its interpretation, the question must have been in his mind, who's coming next? Remember chapter 2? While Nebuchadnezzar is the golden head, who's next with the silver? Who's the nation that's going to take over? Because maybe they won't be as nice and kind to the Jews. And while Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless and he 
did destroy Jerusalem, we see that there were at least a remnant that he showed kindness to. And part of that was God's intervention and God's sovereignty. It wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar on his own. God miraculously worked so that, they, that he could see the God of Israel was real. But we see Daniel and his desire for this not to be true. Well, he then goes on to explain the tree you saw, verse 20, which grew and became strong so that it reached the heavens and visible to the end of the earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which the food for all who's under wild beasts, the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. Verse 22, what does he say? He says, it is you, O king. In the same kind of text, in the same kind of words, we see that this has already been portrayed. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, when Nathan approaches King David about his sin with Bathsheba. And Nathan says, it is you, O king. And so it becomes very apparent to Daniel as he's portraying this, this is you. And we see at the end of the text why he's so greatly alarmed. And he even pleads in the same way that Nathan pleads with David to repent and to humble himself and to confess his sin. We see Daniel here pleading with Nebuchadnezzar to repent, to turn from his pride. Daniel tells us a little bit, says the, the description of the tree you're the tree, it's going to be chopped down. And again, you're going to be in the field, you're going to be wet with dew. And you're going to have a portion that's going to be with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King. That you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Once again, we see the purpose of all of this that takes place in verse 25, just as we read it in verse 17 that the king may know that the Most High rules the kingdoms of men, and he gives it to whom he wills. So verse 26, as it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed to you from, that time, from the time that you know that heaven rules. What Daniel is saying is once you acknowledge that it's the God of heaven that rules, your kingdom will be reestablished for you. And then here's his cry, verse 27, to the king. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. I find it interesting that this is, uh, I, I believe, again, I believe this is Nebuchadnezzar who's recording this for us. And while Daniel may have added or subtracted things, I think this is very clear that Nebuchadnezzar is writing um, eight years after this has transpired, and he remembers the decree that Daniel tells him and says, listen, 
would you just repent? And maybe God's mercy would extend so that your kingdom would last longer. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. This is a change, and we see this a couple times, a change in first person to third person, and now we're back to third person here. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. What's interesting is, again, all of this was the dream and the vision and the interpretation of the dream was 12 months ago at this point. So 12 months has gone on, and King Nebuchadnezzar is in his palace. King Nebuchadnezzar looks. He's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered, and he said, now, let me pause for a second. Who's he talking to? Who's he answering? Why does it say that? I think he's talking to himself here. <laughs> All right? Because it says at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Almost talking to himself in great splendor. Man, am I this good? Am I not this great that I have built this? Look at this. How awesome it is. Verse 31 says, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, how he forgot. In 12 months' time, King Nebuchadnezzar forgot what Daniel had told him. Are you forgetful? No, you're not forgetful now. Come on. How many of you, if I asked you today, would remember your anniversary date? Or even all of your children's birthdays? Or some other important things like what you had to eat last night? We're forgetful people. That's why we must continually be reminding ourselves of what the truth is. We see as Nebuchadnezzar is in his full glory of pride and arrogance, immediately as he has these words upon his lips, look at all of this splendor. God shows up. A voice from heaven declares, mm -mm. your kingdom has been departed. And now you will be humbled. And so immediately the text tells us the word was fulfilled. It says he was driven from amongst men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. There's some really cool artwork done that I remember seeing when I was just a little kid and I decided not to show it on the screen so I don't scar any of our little ones. But it is really cool. Like to think about what this mighty king would have looked like as he went about probably still inside of his walls. And again, if you do some research of Babylon, Babylon had some of the largest walls ever, all right, of any kingdom. And their walls were thick. They were great. And as King Nebuchadnezzar is in his area of his kingdom, 
roaming around on his hands and knees, his hands and his feet. He's out there for seven periods of time. Now, there's some scholars that will say this is seven periods of time. So maybe it's not seven years, it's seven seasons, or we don't know for sure. I would like to believe that it's a long period of time. In seven years, again, Google is an amazing thing. You see some people who grow out their nails, like in seven years worth time. Oh, man, that's bad. I wouldn't want nails like that, but it gives us that it gives us evidence. Again, what's the truth of Scripture? Do you believe Scripture is really true? And so that God would ordain that a man would roam about and act like a beast of the field to the point where his hair grew out so much that it was so long and his nails grew out, they were like claws of a bird. Could it happen? Sure it could happen. It did happen. And you know how I know? Because the Bible tells me. Do you believe it? Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the most holy. And I praised and honored him who lives forever. What do we see when Nebuchadnezzar lifts his eyes to heaven. I believe that this is not just he gazed up into the sky. This was a true act of humility that after seven years, the king acknowledged who the most high God was. Notice how he ends this section in this, again, doxology, this proclamation, the second part of Verse 34 is the beginning of it. For his dominion is everlasting dominion. Whose dominion? God's, the most high. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? What a doxology for us to be able to acknowledge who is the sovereign God of the universe. And yet we today struggle living in that perspective. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought after me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. See, God is faithful to his word, is he not? God told Nebuchadnezzar in this great dream that there would be a stump. There would be some of this that would be left, and out of that, here is Nebuchadnezzar and it's true. He lifted his eyes toward heaven and God restored him. I don't think it's just an add-on here. I think this is, again, to help reassure us that God is faithful to keep his word. And when he speaks, we need to listen. And every bit, every little part of God's word is truth. Verse 37, he ends it this way. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor. 
Now let me pause just before I go on. Notice how he started this chapter? Proclaiming himself as king. That's not bad. He was king. But it's the condition of his heart that it shows us. King Nebuchadnezzar in all of his splendor of Babylon. Notice how he ends this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Where did Nebuchadnezzar look in the midst of those seven years? At the end of it, where does he look? His eyes gaze towards heaven to realize who's in charge of it all. And now he wants to praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Why? Because his works are right. God is always right. Let me say it again. God is always right. Always right. And his ways are just. They're always fair. Look at the scale. There is no cheating. God doesn't favor one above the other. His scales are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He adds this little phrase right at the very end, just to say, hey, take it from me. Take it from me. Those of you who think that you're all that, full of pride, God is able to humble you. No matter who you think you are and where you think you are. How does this apply for us today? I'll go quickly here so that we can respond. First is this. I believe that we need to acknowledge and believe who God is. I believe that we need to acknowledge and believe who God is. See, King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he acknowledges God, but he doesn't believe in God yet. He, I believe he takes God and he adds him to all of his other gods. Here we see there's a difference that takes place in Nebuchadnezzar where he looks and gazes up to heaven and he sees the true most high God. And this phrase, most high, has been shared six times in our text. I would encourage you to go back and circle them. Because I think, again, it's not a mistake here that, that it's recorded for us, God's name and how he's being proclaimed. He is the most high God. It's shared six times. And then the seventh time, he is the king of heaven. He is over the kingdom of any man, the most high. When we walk in our world today, do you acknowledge do you trust, do you see that God is above all the kingdoms of mankind? I hope you do. Because if we look upon man and if we look upon the kingdoms that are here and the things that are going to take place in the future, and that's where we draw our line of who's in control, we are missing the significance of what it means to have a relationship with true and living God. To be able to see to acknowledge and then to believe that he is the most high, that he is in charge and control of all things. And that is what is amazing as we read in the text of the God's word is that he is patient. For 12 months, he gives King Nebuchadnezzar time to repent. 12 months. For a period of time, he allows us to repent. 
for the world to come to repentance. That's our God. People want to say that God is not loving. He's not kind. No, he is kind. He is loving. And in Romans chapter 2 and 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9. And then we see in the story found in Luke 20 verses 9 through 18. That God is a patient God. And the reason why he's patient is because he desires all to come to repentance. And yet the problem is we don't want to repent. And so I ask you this morning in the heart of hopefully you sit here today having acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's the first call to repentance. To acknowledge that I need the blood of Jesus Christ to wipe away my sin. It's only through the blood of Jesus that we have access to the God of the heavens of the earth. It's through the blood of Jesus that we've offer, been offered a relationship for eternity in heaven. That's awesome. I can know God through Jesus Christ when I not only acknowledge him, but I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. He was buried and three days later he rose again. He did that for me. To take away my sin. Because I am a sinner. And I am in need of a savior. And when I trust Jesus as my savior. He becomes my God. How awesome is that? But let me ask you this. That's the first step. But our call to repentance does not stop there. And unfortunately I believe as Christ followers. Especially in America today. We don't like repentance. Do we? I'm not talking about you thinking about other people. I'm asking you now, right in your seat, to think about your heart and your life. And you're like, whoa, pastor, back up. Calm down. It's time. Let's go. We need to sing some songs. Here's the thrust of my message for you this morning. Listen, let me ask you, when was the last time that you were convicted of your sin and you were willing to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness? When was the last time that you went and you said that you were sorry to someone and you asked for their forgiveness? See, humility, and the whole thrust of this chapter is about humility. Humility before God and our worship of him. And in humility, it doesn't just happen. All right? That's going to be our second point that we're going to look at here. But let me encourage you. Humility begins with helping me to see that I do make mistakes. I will never be perfect here on this earth. If you were perfect, you were, you were to have no need of a perfect savior. That's why you need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus. And because we need Jesus, we need Jesus continually. Not just one time. I need more of Jesus every day. And so that need of Jesus, when was the last time that you saw his heart and that you were willing to ask for forgiveness of sin? Unfortunately, the hardness of heart quickly sets in. We become hard-hearted people. I believe, as our text says, that we, we are called to be people of humility. 
I won't get into it, but we're called to confess our sin to God, 1 John 1, 9. But we're also to confess our sins to mankind. That's an act of humility in James chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 5, verse 16. My second point is this. I believe that we need to humble ourselves before God. So how do we do this? Well, we see in the New Testament text in Matthew 23, 13, Jesus shares before the seven woes, he shares this call to humble ourselves. We see it also in Luke 1.52. We see it in Mary's song. As Mary's proclaiming this great, um, uh, great proclamation uh, of the coming Messiah that she is carrying in her, her acknowledgement, she gives us this call to humility. It's part of her song. But then we see it in James chapter 4 and second in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. In James chapter 4, we see the context that there's fighting and in quarrels. There's, there, in the church, there's, amongst the believers, there's this, 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 these challenges that are just flaring up. And in the midst of that, there's a call. And the call is this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We see it in James 4, and then we see it again in 1 Peter 5, 5. It's actually the the Greek uh, translation of Proverbs 3.34. Proverbs 3.34 says, Towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The, in the Greek Septuagint, Proverbs um, 3.34 is written how we read it in James chapter 4, verse 6 in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It's not a different text. It's just the way it was translated in Greek. And so as we look at it, God opposes the proudful person. I'm sure you sit here this morning and you're not saying, yes, I, I, I'm a proudful person. We don't like to acknowledge that. But God does oppose the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And so we see in the context of James, here's fighting and quarrels. And so the call is to humble yourself. And how do you do that? Well, James says you submit to God, you resist the devil, and you draw near to God. It isn't just something that we say, well, I'm going to be humble today and, and we're going to do it. That's our North America mindset. I can do anything I want to do. And that's not all bad, but it's not all good either. You don't have the capacity in and of yourself to be humble. Do you know that? Would you acknowledge that this morning? That's part of the grace of God in our life. That as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. He helps us to become humble because he reveals who he is and he reveals different things about ourselves. And there's times that we don't want to see it. And so the hardness of heart can quickly set in. First Peter 5, 5, the context is a little bit different. And when, he, and when Peter encourages his listeners to clothe yourself, all of you, towards humility towards one another, because why? God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The context of that passage is, hey, there is persecution and hardship that's taking place. So clothe yourself with humility. That as trials and as threats, as anxiety starts to set in in your life, clothe yourself with humility. And in the text, he tells us to cast our, all of our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. We can be sober-minded. He says, be sober-minded. 
That means being free from the inordinate passions of excess. To have a disposition of calm, of temperance. And then he says, be watchful. Resist the devil and stand firm. See, the context of being humble always points back to looking at who God is and what he has told us and then what is to come and believing that his word is truth. And so part of humbling ourselves before God, we must look at the context of those passages and we need to do those things. And in doing those things, they will help to do what? They're going to help to cultivate a posture My posture is not very good. I'm told that all the time. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I pass that on to my children. They walk around. I'm like, stand up straight. When I tell them that, I stand up straight. Our posture, right? It's it's who we are. How do you gain a posture so that your reactions are one of a humble heart? How can you have that posture? As you go throughout your week this week, think of that. When you catch yourself slouching, you put yourself in a posture. How is your heart? What's the posture of your heart? Is it hardened or are you open? Or are you transparent? I believe that's why we sit underneath the authority of God's word. What has our world done today? It strips God of his authority of his word. The word really doesn't say that. It really doesn't mean that. Or that didn't really take place. No, when we humble ourselves in order to get to that posture of authority in our heart, we have to acknowledge that God's word is truth. And we need to sit under it. And we need to be in it. And we need to be reading it and studying it. It also is us coming before God in prayer to be able to share and to listen That's building a posture where we acknowledge that, God, you are true, and I want to talk to you, and I want to listen to you. Even lowering ourselves in our needs and fasting, where we would fast and we would say, Lord, I'm going to put aside what I desire, and I'm going to cry out to you because I I want to have a posture. I want to have a posture that is humble. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. We look at the king or whoever's in leadership as the one who has all the power. Our text today And this verse from Proverbs helps us to see. See, the king is just like water in hand. A stream going in. And God turns it. And maneuvers it. And manipulates it however he desires. That's our God. That's how great he is. Look to the heavens. And remember that God still reigns. God still reigns over all. And as we read in verse 37, all his words are right and his ways are just. Don't ever lose 
a heart of humility. Lord, would you at this time in this place, Lord, I pray that you would hear our cry and I pray that our cry would be one of repentance. One where we would come to your altar to acknowledge that we have nothing in and of ourselves to bring before you. But that you've paid the price. The Lamb of God was slain for our sins. The sacrifice was made already for us, full and complete. You aren't desiring for us to be perfect. You are desiring for us to be holy. Your desire is for us to seek your face. To continually acknowledge who you are. To believe and trust in you and your word. And Lord, I come confessing that I have fallen fall far short. So many times, even in this week, Lord, the failure to trust you, the failure to know that you are sovereign and in control of all things, my anxiety has troubled me. There's times where fear can easily creep in. And so, Lord, I ask that you would please forgive me. Help me to continually trust you. There are times this week that I've saw sin. Not that I purposefully wanted to sin, but Lord, it's foolish if I don't admit that I don't. I sin because I like sin at times. And sometimes I like it more than I like your truth. And so, Lord, I ask that you would please forgive me for desiring more of what this world has to offer than what you have to offer. Lord, I pray for us as a church, as a people who sit here now. I pray this morning that we would be people who would be quick to repent, to turn from our sin to continually allow your spirit working and challenging and molding us and making us into the image of our savior, Jesus, that process called sanctification, helping us look more and more like our God. We cannot do that. Lord, it has to be you in us. And we often get in the way. And for that, Lord, we confess, we admit, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would help us. Lord, as we approach this time of singing, I pray that it would be a response truly from our hearts. The call to the altar, the call to approach you. And I pray that if there are people that need to do business this morning with you, that they wouldn't leave here until they get that right with you. And we want to, Lord, acknowledge 
that you deserve and you are worthy of all of the glory. Lord, we pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ.